Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, episode 313 with Cynthia Thurlow. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Today, we have a dear friend of mine, a brilliant health practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. She's been on the show before a couple of times, and she's making an appearance again. We're going to dive into her story. She's going to give a backstory on how she discovered intermittent fasting, her TEDx talk that blew up, which currently has over 8 million views on YouTube. We're also going to get into fasting. You're going to learn a lot today about intermittent fasting and different fasting strategies for men and for women. You're going to learn about some fasting mistakes. We're going to get into the continuous glucose monitor, why she loves that tool. We also have a special segment at the end where I bring on some of the members of a previous keto challenge I did to ask questions for Cynthia and you get to hear her brilliant answers. So if you want to learn about fasting, this is going to be the episode for you. I encourage you to be present, take notes. You might want to listen to this a couple times. It will be life-changing information. Before I bring Cynthia on the show, I want to say thank you so much for pressing play on the Keto Camp Podcast today, whether you're driving to work or on your way home from work, walking your dog, washing dishes, working out, whatever you're doing, thank you. I appreciate you. We're so grateful for you, and I do want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Strick7070 titled, Amazing Connection. Keto Camp is amazing, and I really connected with Ben. He is down to earth and a true inspiration. Quote, we get healthy to lose weight, unquote. Ben digs into keto as a way to create an everlasting lifestyle. I am inspired to push myself further because of listening to Ben and Keto Camp. I'm already down 20 pounds and living my best life. Thank you, Ben. Wow, strict 7070. That is awesome. I'm so glad that clicked with you, the part about how the body gets healthy in order to lose weight. That's where so many other doctors and nutritionists and practitioners get it wrong. They have it backward. The body doesn't lose weight to get healthy. Therefore, we do not cut calories and focus on that nonsense. We focus on reducing cellular inflammation. We focus on sensitizing your hormones and we work this body inside out. I'm proud of you, Strict. I'm proud that you're down 20 pounds, living your best life. Keep up the great work and I'm grateful that you connected with the podcast. And thank you for taking the time to leave that rating and review. It really does help the show grow. So if you haven't done so already, please leave the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcast. Heads up, if you haven't purchased my book, Keto Flex, came out a few months ago, hit number one on Amazon. 
We've got hundreds of five-star reviews on Amazon, and it is one of the best books, I, I think, I believe, the best book out there on keto because we put it all together. We talk about keto flexing, fasting strategies, autophagy, mTOR. We talk about carnivore. There's a chapter about sleep, and there's a chapter all about how to do keto and fasting for women, which you're going to learn a ton about today with Cynthia Thurlow as well. So if you haven't gotten the book Keto Flex, I encourage you to head to ketoflexbook.com and get it today. It's available right now on Kindle and paperback and soon will be available on Audible. Let's get into this conversation with Cynthia Thurlow. Cynthia Thurlow, we're going to be talking about resetting your fat-burning hormones. Cynthia Thurlow is going to speak about the best ways to break a weight loss plateau. She's going to get into the benefits of wearing a continuous glucose monitor, why that's a game changer and why it's one of the best devices you can get to really understand your physiology and the foods you're eating, if it's working for you or not. We're going to get into the biggest fasting mistakes people make. We're going to get into why sleep is the key that unlocks weight loss. And we're going to do a live uh, VIP Q&A. Cynthia Thurlow is a Western medicine trained nurse practitioner over 20 years, a functional nutritionist who is passionate about female hormonal health. She believes that the inherent power of food and nutrition can be found can be your greatest asset to your health and wellness journey. She has an incredible TEDx talk about fasting, which has over 8 million views. She is the author, excuse me, she is the podcast host of the Everyday, Everyday Wellness Podcast, but everybody needs to go subscribe to the Everyday Wellness Podcast. I was blessed to be a guest on there twice, and uh, she actually has been on my podcast twice as well. She's writing a brand new book, which is going to change so many lives. You'll hear maybe about that on this interview. So without further ado, I want to welcome to you all, Cynthia Thurlow. Hey, Cynthia, good morning. Hey, Ben. It's so good to be here with you and your tribe. And I'm going to hope that both my dogs stay quiet. I've been shushing <laughs> them the entire time I've been in the green room. <laughs> it's all good. We all love dogs here. So it's, it's not a problem, Cynthia. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to join us today. Uh, as you know, I just love what you're doing. Not only do I consider you a, a great friend of mine, but also somebody who inspires me all the time. You've been a leader in the fasting space and the women's health space for a long time. So we're blessed to have you here. So thank you for joining us today. You know, for for those who are kind of new to your information, you do have a, a powerful story of what happened to your health and how you went through a lot of um, challenges with your health just a few years ago. And that's what actually helped you discover the healing benefits of fasting. So I would love for you to start the conversation with your journey of pain to purpose. I think what you were alluding to initially is what brought me to intermittent fasting is obviously I'm a middle-aged woman. I've been a nurse practitioner for a very long time. I trained at one of the leading research institutions in the United States, both undergrad and grad school, very proud of where I went to school and you know, existed in ER medicine and cardiology. And I'm a total adrenaline junkie, but I didn't learn a lot about middle age issues that would go on with women. And so why this is really relevant to share with everyone is that when I started heading into middle age, so early 40s, super, super, super fit, not sleeping enough, probably over exercising, I was doing a lot of very hardcore conditioning classes, very stressful job. I worked for a very prominent cardiology group in the Washington DC area a husband who traveled internationally and two young boys and one dog at that time. And so I really 
flew into a wall at middle age. So when I started transitioning into perimenopause, the five to seven years preceding menopause, all the things that I was doing were no longer working for me. So I was over-exercising, probably too low carb, not sleeping enough, not managing my stress. And I started to gain weight. And all of a sudden, I was exhausted all the time, didn't feel good. Uh, I started struggling with the same things that I was seeing in my middle-aged female patients, but I didn't really understand it until I went through it. So what Ben was alluding to was I really came to intermittent fasting out of a curiosity, initially because several people had mentioned it to me, not realizing I would end up really embracing it, running with it, and then using it with my own patients and clients. And I really do fervently believe that intermittent fasting is the magic that allowed me to kind of return to the same degree of health that I was at before and probably a bit better. And I'm now very mindful of the impact of our lifestyle choices on our health. And two years or probably five years after that, I actually spent 13 days in the hospital and I almost died. And why that's relevant is that my surgeon and my team, I had about six specialists seeing me. Uh, and if you want more details on that, I wrote a whole blog post on it. But what really, you know, for me fervently identified why fasting is such a powerful strategy is that my surgeon kept saying, if you were the average 47 year old, you would have died. If you were my average 47 year old, you either would have died or you would have been in rehab for months. And so for me, I spent 13 days in the hospital, left the hospital, went home and, you know, was weak as a kid and lost 15 pounds. I looked absolutely horrific um, and went on to deliver a talk that has changed my life. But you talk about finding purpose and my purpose is really reestablishing for individuals that middle age does not have to be this kind of wah, 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 really unfortunate time in our lives that we don't look forward to. I would say my husband and I are absolutely positively the most energetic 40 somethings. Well, he just started into his fifties, but we are very energetic, very fit, very healthy. We sleep well, we have high quality um, food choices. Uh, we manage and mitigate teenage boys and two dogs. And why I think Ben really wanted me to connect with you all is to inspire you to, to share with you that age is just a number, that we can chronologically be one age and physiologically be much younger. And one of the ways that we can do that is how we tackle our lifestyle, the foods we choose to eat, the quality of our sleep, um, eating less often. And so for anyone that's listening, you, you may be someone that's new to intermittent fasting. You could also be someone that is uh, a seasoned intermittent faster. And so you're looking for more advanced strategies. And obviously, Ben is an amazing resource for both those things. But my niche has really become working with women because women are not many men. And we have to look at fasting and a lot of these lifestyle choices and changes very differently than men do. And a lot of that has to do with our hormones, which I'm sure we'll probably touch on. But, you know, women that are menopausal and men are more alike in the sense that their hormones are, are not fluctuating as dramatically as women that are cycling still do. So women that are still getting their menstrual cycle every month have to fast differently than men and middle and menopausal women. And that's really kind of the crux of my message is trying to explain to people that we are inherently as women designed to uh, create life and we are designed to carry life and to birth life. And because of that, we don't, we have a lot more restrictions on how we go about doing things, but that's really magical. That's really a benefit. I always say that's um, the beauty of being a woman is that we have these unique, we have the unique ability to 
uh, create and grow life and birth life. But it also means that we have to look at a lot of these lifestyle choices a little bit differently. Well said. So on that topic, Cynthia, of fasting, why do you love fasting so much? What does it do to optimize our hormones, both men and women? Why do you love it so much? Well, I, I mean, I, I think initially people are curious about fasting because they want to lose weight. Like, let's be honest, it, it could be a vanity metric. It could be, I just genuinely don't know how else to do this. And it's a curiosity. But when I really think about what I love most about fasting, it is the benefits to our brain health. It is keeping insulin levels low so that people will say, oh my gosh, like not only do I not have to worry about eating in the morning and I can get more done, but we know that when we are not in this fed state, our body produces these special chemicals called ketones. And so one in particular that I know Ben loves to talk about is BDNF, so brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And this type of fuel for the brain is preferential and it actually helps brain health in very beneficial ways. If you recall that, you know, our blood sugar is designed to efficiently when we eat, you know, we, we, our blood sugar will go up, insulin is secreted, and then we push, uh, we push blood sugar into the cells. Ideally, that's how it should work. And we don't eat often, but in our modern overharried, overstressed existences, what ends up happening for many people is that their insulin levels can, are, are elevated all day long because they're eating constantly. And so your body doesn't get to use efficient fuel. It Like the ketones that I touched on, we don't keep our insulin levels low, so we probably are tired. We may have brain fog. So cognitive function is, is the A number one thing that I really like to focus on. Number two is autophagy. So this waste and recycling process or mitophagy, if we're getting rid of disease and disordered mitochondria, which are the powerhouses of our cells, it's this very efficient way of supporting our body, getting rid of what it should be doing anyway, this trash recycling. Like when you think about it, you put your trash out and the neighborhood garbage truck comes and picks it up twice a week or once a week, wherever you live. I love getting rid of trash. It's very, I feel very therapeutic. It's the same way in our bodies, but that process is not really ramped up when we are eating. When we're eating, there's another biologic process that will predominate. And autophagy is something that I think people are curious about. They don't really understand or appreciate, but I remind them that you know disease-disordered cells can go on to create cancer. They can go on to create, it's almost like you're driving on old tires. You know, there, It doesn't work as efficiently. Um, you may experience more fatigue. You may experience more um, you know, weight gain, you may experience poor quality sleep. So really important that we provide our bodies with the opportunities to get rid of these disease and disordered cells. So that's number two. Number three, I always think about the fact that when we're, well, and this is always my nurse practitioner background, I always think about the net impact on eating less often is that for many people, they need to be on less medication. It could be blood pressure medication. It could be cholesterol medication. It could be diabetes medication. And in a country that has such a large proportion of metabolically unhealthy individuals, being on less medication is something that for every single one of us, we should have a strong desire to aim for. Now, there are probably people watching that are on medication to support their thyroid. And that is very different to me than someone needing to be on diabetes medication in the sense that we do have glands in our bodies or hormones in our bodies that over time just don't work as well, that is very different than someone who is in a position that they, they've been told for years to avoid salt, and they end up gravitating towards a lot of highly processed, hyper palatable, 
meaning foods that are very hard to eat just one of. And I always think of like Pringles and Cheetos. And for anyone that's watching that's ever consumed one of those, it is genuinely very hard. And it's designed to be very hyper palatable to encourage us to continue eating more and more of it. But the reason why I'm sharing this is that when I was in cardiology for 16 years as a nurse practitioner, more often than not, we conditioned our patients to believe that there was always a pill that was going to fix their symptom. And the number two thing that we always conditioned people to believe was that fat was bad, salt is bad, and that we needed to encourage our patients to eat a very bland, uh, highly processed, so high grains, high gluten, avoid animal protein, uh, don't eat fats, eat all these kind of chemical garbage as processed food. And that truly has hindered the ability for many people to heal their bodies. So I look at intermittent fasting as an ability to whittle down or reduce the amount of medications that you need because you're metabolically inflexible. And for many women that are watching, when they change their diet, when they become less insulin resistant, when they become more metabolically flexible, all of a sudden their cycles are improved. They're not having painful periods. Maybe their periods aren't as heavy. Maybe their cycles become more regular because they're no longer insulin resistant. And so I come to find that it's a medication reduction as well as symptom reduction strategy that can be so beneficial. And the last thing I wanna talk, just kind of briefly touch on, is that when it comes to intermittent fasting, one of the other really key benefits I think about from a long-term perspective is that we know based on research that's done on mammals, as well as lab animals, as well as the small amount of research that's been done on men and postmenopausal obese women, we know that intermittent fasting can actually improve your longevity. So you look at people that live in the blue zones throughout the world, and they don't eat as much food as we do, like reducing your caloric intake. And it's not about calories. So I, I want to reemphasize that. But we know based on study research, reducing the amount of calories you consume on a daily basis improves your longevity enormously, not only from the perspective that you tend to gain less weight, you tend to live a healthier lifestyle, you tend to be more physically active, but we also know that you tend to be a healthier human being. And for me, having worked 20 plus years in ER medicine and cardiology, and I, I just keep reemphasizing that because I really saw the, the worst case scenario of what happens to our bodies when we abuse them throughout our lifetime, not just in the inner city of Baltimore, but even in a very affluent suburb that I, I've lived in for the last 20 years. And I think it's really important just to, to mention, you don't want to be in your 40s, as one example, or your 50s, and every joint aches, and your sleep quality is really poor, and your digestion is terrible, and you don't have a bowel movement more than a few times a week, and your periods are haywire, and you're just hangry all the time because you're, you're addicted to processed foods. Intermittent fasting is absolutely positively a strategy to harness um, the inherent benefits. And there are hundreds of benefits, but these are the ones that I've come to find people are most interested in hearing more about, being touched on, because those are the things that you know really do impact how well we age or don't age. Brain health, sleep quality, um, you know, balancing those hormones, you know, there's a myriad of hormones, there's a lot, we could talk about one hormone for hours. So lots and lots of hormones that are impacted in all these things. But, you know, thinking about the fact that if you are putting your meals together, when you do break your fast properly, you're not binging or overeating, it really is a magical way to live your life and feel like you have more control, as opposed to the gimmicks that you see on social media, where you see potions and pills and powders, and it's the latest, greatest greatest gimmick 
to convince people that that's what they need to use to, in order to lose weight or to become healthier or to have better brain health. It's not about gimmicks. It's sustainable strategies throughout our lifetime. That is that is what we aim for. And I know it's something that Ben fervently embraces. I know it's something I fervently embrace. And I'm sure all of you that are watching really understand and appreciate that as well. Absolutely, Cynthia. That's that's a big list of benefits that go mm -hmm. beyond weight loss. And the body will lose weight when you get healthy and apply these ancient healing strategies, fasting being one of them. Mm -hmm. So that's a great explanation. Um, BDNF, by the way, there was a question. BDNF stands for brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Yeah. Yep. So, so what that is, it's like miracle growth for the brain. It just helps yep. you become more creative, more resilient. Uh, it helps with your brain, cognitive function. So, Cynthia, you outlined the benefits of fasting brilliantly uh, and how it harnesses this innate intelligence. Now, what are some of the mistakes people make with fasting? Oh, there are so many. Well, I would say first and foremost irrespective of who you are and where you're watching, um, there are genuinely individuals who I know have a good intent on social media. And by that, I mean, maybe it's a fitness professional or it's a not as well-informed health coach or uh, healthcare provider. And, and I'm not picking any on any one person. I see it happen a lot. Um, but I am a proponent of a clean fast and a clean fast means you don't eat food during your fast. I mean, that's, that's my feeling. That's my philosophy. I teach that philosophy. And I always say from there, people can make decisions. But I see a lot of people that will say things like, oh, it's under 50 calories, so it doesn't count. That's not true. And if you're someone that's struggling with weight gain, eating extra calories is not benefiting you. So yes, uh, a handful of grapes, a couple almonds. Um, I, I've seen people that take all sorts of branched chain amino acids, uh, they'll take uh, pre-workouts, they'll have some type of artificially sugared beverage, and they think that that doesn't break their fast. All those things break your fast. You just have to be very cognizant of what your goals are. That's number one. And number two, be honest with yourself. Like, there's nothing wrong with breaking your fast earlier. I'd rather someone do that if they're really genuinely that hungry, they feel like they can't get to 15, 16, 18 plus hours. So number one, one of the mistakes I see is not understanding what a clean fast is and understanding that when you do clean fast, you are going to get the best results. So that's number one. Number two, uh, not sleeping well. So if anyone that's watching that's a female, and I say this with love and, and respect, if you cannot sleep through the night, do not add in intermittent fasting. So I know Ben talks a lot about all of these hormetic stressors, beneficial stressors to our bodies, but it's like anything, too much of any one thing is not good. So if you can't sleep through the night, and your sleep quality is terrible and you're dragging all day, do not fast. Do not fast until you figure out why your sleep quality is so poor or work actively at sleep hygiene. So the sleep piece is absolutely foundational and critical. And if you can't sleep through the night, do not add in intermittent fasting. Like that's, it's like a, it's one of like my pillar, you know, uh, philosophies that sleep is foundational to our health. And if you can't sleep through the night, do not add in fasting. Number three, I see a lot of people who force fasting, meaning well-meaning people like Ben and I get on social media and we talk a lot about the benefits of fasting, why fasting is so wonderful. There are some people who aren't ready to fast yet. And so they have to kind of put their training wheels on. And the training wheels could be as simple as you go from having three meals a day and snacks to having no snacks. I mean, it, it, you really do it. Some people have to be very methodical. If you're eating a standard American diet and you're a couch potato, you are not going to be able to go from 
what you're doing to fasting successfully and feeling satiated and not eating 18 hours out of the day. Like there are so many other pieces that need to be worked on first. So giving yourself grace, I think that's really important because there's too much comparisonitis on social media. And so just because your best friend, your husband, your spouse, your significant other is effortlessly fasting, just acknowledge that you are your own individual and you may need to put some training wheels on. And training wheels could be the slow progression of you know going from not snacking to having a shorter fasting feeding window to slowly kind of opening that up and really changing your your macros. So really changing uh, and strategizing on what foods you need to put together to keep you satiated and happy. So giving yourself grace. I would say another thing that I oftentimes see people really struggling with is um, understanding that you can do the, you can do the clean fast, you can sleep well, you cannot overexercise, which is another problem I see people doing. Um, but there can be a lot of reasons why you're not losing weight. And this for me has become like a, a major, major point of for my team and I to create content to be able to serve others and to be able to underst- allow them to understand there are like 10 reasons why you can hit a weight loss plateau with intermittent fasting or just in general. And so really understanding that Yes, there are some people that will fast and they will lose weight effortlessly, generally men. Um, and then a lot of times women struggle a bit more with this, and that can be related to um, a lot of different uh, different things that go on with our bodies, you know, month to month, year to year. Uh, you know, it can go on with the type of exercise that you're doing. There's a lot of factors. So I always tell people, just because you're not losing weight does not mean that you are not conferring a lot of other benefits to your body, some of which I alluded to earlier in this discussion. But I think it's really important for people to understand it's not just about weight loss. That if you come to intermittent fasting out of curiosity about weight loss, that's great. But if that is the sole reason that you are doing intermittent fasting, you are missing so many other benefits that are far more powerful and impactful. And I have to say this, almost every single day, not just on social media, but to my one-on-ones, to my group members, because there's always going to be a group of people who have to dig a bit deeper to find out why their body is holding on to excess weight. And sometimes it's not realistic. It's not a realistic desire. Some people are very thin to begin with, and in their mind, they have to be the weight they were at 20. And I have to remind them, if you're a 50-year-old woman, you are very likely not going to weigh what you weighed when you were 20 years old. And that is okay. That is very different than someone saying, I am, I am obese. I have gained 50 pounds. I need to lose 50 pounds. That is very different. So you have to be realistic. And it's not about limiting beliefs. It's really, you know, being honest with yourself, like saying, like, if I want to get back to a particular weight and really my body's much happier, five pounds above that, that's okay. I, I just see far too many people that are really, really hard on themselves, habitually, chronically, they get fixated on the scale. Then I'm probably, I'm fairly confident you see a little bit of this because I know I'm in your groups, you're in my group. So you, we, we see this behavior. And I always say like, stay off the scale or weigh yourself once a week or once a month. But the non-scale victories are more important in many, many ways than focusing just on a number. So I would say those are those are probably uh, in the last two weeks, because uh, I'm running a, a program right now. Those are things that consistently I see people, uh, a lot of it's mindset related. Uh, and Ben, I'm sure you know, you're an expert in this area. I'm sure you see it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that you shared all that because it's, you don't know this, but throughout the week, 
we've been doing action steps. I've been I've been doing some coaching here in the sessions. Mm-hmm. And we t- talked about number one sleep. That was one of the actions: get at least seven hours of quality sleep mm-hmm. before we even introduced fasting. And then also there was a segment about non-scale victories. How yeah. more than to focus on your energy levels, mm-hmm. your confidence, the way your clothes fit. And the weight will eventually come off as the body gets healthy. So I, I love that. There's a lot of alignment there mm-hmm. with whatever what we already taught in this program. I want to get to the VIP question. So for those who are VIP, uh, turn your cameras on so we could bring you on here with Cynthia. You need to have your camera on. I see Marie has her on, Betty's and Amanda, but Katie, Leslie and Tina do not. So if you want to come on here, do that. I'm going to do it based off of when you joined. So Becky, uh, she cannot join the live There's no anymore. voice. <laughs> she has no voice. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to ask her questions to you and then we'll get to Marie right after that. So Becky, okay. first question for Be- from Becky is, uh, would you change a fasting feasting routine for a post hysterectomy, non HRT person, a hormone uh, therapy person? Go ahead. That's what a great you- question. My first, an- my first question and feel free to drop the answer in the uh, chat. Do you still have your ovaries? Uh, yes, in in many instances, I am, it's really dependent on many, many factors. So no. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you had your ovaries out as well and you're not on hormones. Um, you, you probably feel the full brunt of menopause. If you go from having uterus and ovaries and actually, uh, going to into complete menopause, I'm going to recommend a book. And the reason why I'm going to recommend this book is I literally have my intermittent fasting coaches reading it. It is the book that my monthly group will be reading next month, but something that's really interesting, and, and I only have this fresh in my mind because I was literally lecturing about this yesterday, is that if you have your, and I'm going to make sure I'm saying this correctly, if you have both your ovaries and your uterus taken out, you have a 70% increase in memory decline and dementia. So what that really represents is that... Um, what that really represents is that we have estradiol signaling in our brain as well as progesterone. The more I understand about the human brain, the more fervently I feel very, I, I feel like women need to really educate themselves. So um, Becky, you can check out this physician uh, researcher. She's fantastic. Um, I would say just get educated about that piece because this is literally just fresh in my mind from that conversation I had with my coaches do I find that women need to feast and fast cycle differently uh, after a hysterectomy? Not really. I would say the biggest issues for me are how's your energy? How's your sleep? Are you over-exercising? Because we know in menopause, it's all it's the level, the playing field gets leveled. What you can get away with in your 20s and 30s, you can't with especially menopause, but perimenopause, our body responds differently to stress. There is much more utilization of stress on our adrenal glands, cortisol. Uh, we just don't bounce back as well. Actually, I was having a discussion with some colleagues a few days ago about women in perimenopause and menopause. If they have an illness, if they have a divorce, if they have a like a, a horrific, you know, something happens, they have this traumatic move, job change, lose their job, uh, illness of a loved one or themselves, that they just do not bounce back. Like physiologically, just don't bounce back as well as they did. So. I think that's highly bio-individual. I would really check in with yourself. I know you've got great resources with Ben, but I would say that the average woman, if she's sleeping well, dials in on stress, not over-exercising, eating enough of her macros during her feeding window, and 
providing some degree of variation of her fasting schedule, they can do very, very well. It's really dependent on the individual. But I find when women have had both their ovaries and both their uterus removed, they generally tend to struggle more. And, and if you're not that person, I think that's wonderful. But it has been my clinical experience after working with thousands and thousands of women that a lot of people aren't told what to expect. And so it just makes it a whole lot harder. But um, irrespective of you know how you're feeling right now, I would say really checking in with those other factors can be very influential and beneficial for you. That's a great answer. She has two more questions. What was the name of the book, first of all, that you uh, put up there? It's called The XX Brain. And it's by Dr. Lisa Moscone. She's actually head of the Cornell Medical Center Women's Brain Initiative. And this book was recommended to me by a patient. And then I'm now down the rabbit hole. It's a really, it's, and it's designed for the lay public. It is not fear mongering. She, she herself, and I know Ben, you and I would not agree with this. She's very plant-based, which is okay. The content of the book is excellent. Like I would say that I would highly recommend. She I believe is, is, uh, from Italy. So she's pro eating lots of fruits and vegetables. Um, I'm not as much of a plant-based protein person, but I like her message. It's very positive. It's very informative. And therefore it's a, like a top book wreck. Awesome. I just put the link in the live stream chats. If you want to get that book, uh, two more questions real quick from Becky, and then we'll get to Marie. Next question is the debate on carbs or no carbs. What are, what carbs what carbs, if you are going to have carbs, are best and when is the best time to have them? That's a great question. Um, I, what I would say to you is it really depends on you as an individual. That's why I am a huge fan of continuous glucose monitors because it will allow you to kind of fine tune how your body reacts to certain foods. Now, I am gluten, grains, and dairy free. I'm upfront about that. I'm not suggesting everyone that's watching has to be that way. It just works well for me and uh, I'm all about only consuming the things that work well, but I'm going to share something with each of you. I don't eat a lot of fruit. I eat a lot of non-starchy vegetables and a lot of protein, and that's my happy place. And I was telling Ben that when I got the continuous glucose monitor, I was surprised to see on the days that I usually increase my carbohydrates, days I've lifted, that uh, plantains, for some reason, do not agree with my body. And, and by this, I mean I would get a massive blood sugar spike or massive insulin spike, blood sugar spike up to about 160, which... For anyone that's watching, no one should be ab uh, above 140 because we know that that actually does damage to the endothelial lining of our blood vessels. So every time I tried plantains, it didn't matter how I cooked them, how I prepare them, my blood sugar would spike. So if you are someone that has access to a glucometer, I would really encourage you to do some trials. This is something that I do with my one-on-ones. Do trials with different foods. So I tend to be a fan of low glycemic berries. Uh, I tend to be a fan of more natural sweeteners if you're going to use one like raw honey. Uh, I am a fan of uh, normally plantains. I don't say that anymore. But, you know, squash, sweet potatoes, root vegetables if you're going to up your carbs. And to really experiment, you know, quinoa if you tolerate it, millet, amaranth, et cetera. What I find, and this is really the key, when people head into middle age, they become a little more insulin resistant. Even if you're thin, even if you're exercising, it is a byproduct of the loss of estradiol. Uh, it is absolutely positively a byproduct of hormonal fluctuations that occur in the body. And so I would encourage anyone, if you have the ability to purchase a glucometer, start testing your blood sugar before you eat and after you eat and see what your response is like. Because for everyone that's watching, the answers are very different. But I generally tend to encourage people to experiment what feels best, what gives you energy, what fuels your workouts, what helps with sleep. 
it is so unique. I mean, down to the epigenetic level, there are some people that just don't do well with going really low carb. And low carb can mean many different things to many people. I'm talking like under 50 grams a day. There's some people that just don't do well. And so I think you really have to be open to experimentation, try a glucometer. Um, I love having a continuous glucose monitor because I hate sticking my finger. That's the honest answer. Uh, and, and having a continuous glucose monitor has been the most impactful, helpful uh, biohack that I've ever used in my entire life. And I generally encourage people to kind of experiment because I find on days where I lift, I can tolerate 100 grams of carbs fine. Most other days I'm under 50, but that works well for me. I sleep well, I have good energy, I can get through my workout. So I encourage each of you, Ben, that might not been, have been a specific enough response to um, the young woman that asked, but really experiment. Be honest with yourself. Um, I now realize like I can get away with eating an entire banana, but I can't eat a plantain, which makes zero sense to me. Yeah, no, it's a great answer. I, I think uh, Becky does actually have a CGM, so it's perfect. Yeah. A last question from Becky is, estrogen dominant women, those who mm -hmm. carry weights in their midsection, what's a good routine for them? Uh, well, if someone's estrogen, so I think of people who carry weight in their abdominal area, that's a cortisol issue. Uh, so I would, I would focus first on like the stress management, not over exercising, doing the right types of exercise, making sure you're getting enough high quality carbohydrates on days that you carb up when it comes to estrogen dominance, depending on where you are lifestyle wise, a lot of it's diet mediated. Uh, a great deal of it is exposure to estrogen mimicking chemicals in our environment, personal care products and food. So really dialing in and educating yourself about that. Um, if you've done something like the Dutch test, which is a wonderful test, it's dried urine and saliva, and you know how your body is metabolizing estrogen. So there's three different forms of estrogen. Estradiol is what predominates during our cycling years. Estrone is the predominant form of estrogen during menopause, usually secreted by fat cells, which is why people frustratingly enough will gain weight in menopause because their body's trying to generate some estrogen, although it's a weaker form. And then there's something called estriol, which we produce when we're pregnant. But when someone genuinely is estrogen dominant, and I like to do that test in order to determine that, there are specific supplements that can be helpful. Again, I am a nurse practitioner, but I'm not your nurse practitioner. And I would say things that I look at are like DIM, um, which you can find in cruciferous vegetables, but it can be a very powerful supplement to add in. Calcium glucurate, um, you know, I think about things like adaptogenic herbs, like maca. But again, it's you really want to know how are you metabolizing your estrogen because there are three different pathways in your body. It can be metabolized down. And if it's going down the wrong pathway, it can increase your propensity for developing certain types of cancer. So really, really important to at least get a baseline test to know how you're metabolizing your estrogen and from there really strategizing. But I would say there's definitely the lifestyle nutrition piece for sure. Yeah, great answer, Cynthia. And we talked about the Dutch test on uh, Wednesday with Dr. Rebecca mm -hmm. Warren. So that's a fantastic test to see what's going <laughs> on with your hormones. I yep. know you love Dr. Rebecca Warren, huh? She's lovely. She really is an, an amazing resource. You guys are so fortunate to have. Like you had Ben Bickman yesterday um, to have Dr. Rebecca next week. You're really, Ben's bringing in, you know, the, the best people in this space to keep you educated and informed, which is awesome including you, Cynthia, your uh, wealth of information. So thank you. All right, uh, VIP or Marie, uh, give me a thumbs up if you're ready to come on here. Okay, cool. She has a question for you. Okay. So here is Marie. Hi, Hi Marie. Thank, you, thank you for taking my question. Um, someone being, 
uh, low estrogen postmenopausal. So low estrogen, progesterone in the negative. Um, also insulin resistant and thyroid. Mm -hmm. um, last July, I started ketoing, clean ketoing, and I did really well the first few months with a great weight loss, uh, 30 pounds. So that was awesome. Um, then there's the stall. Mm -hmm. So my question is, if I was to address, um, well, the thyroid, I, I do the best as I can, and the numbers are really well, but the estrogen and progesterone being low, and I know with weight loss being in the midsection and lower mm -hmm. part of my section could be a problem, uh, and insulin resistant, which mm -hmm. one should I address first? Is it, would the insulin resistant portion of fasting certain days, um, say 72 hours, and, um, as, as Ben says, you know, one, one feast day uh, mm -hmm. and um, one longer fast. Would I, should I address, I'm sorry, should I address insulin resistant first or addressing estrogen and progesterone uh, last mm -hmm. first? Um, I'm kind of confused on what to do. I, I, I've been doing this now for almost a year and I'm trying to address a weight loss mm -hmm. uh, for menopausal women to help support them in the, in the journey I'm taking. I'm sorry I'm taking so long asking the question. But no, I'm no, no. I, I think I'm so proud of you because you've done an amazing job thus far. And it's not at all surprising that there's this confusion. Like, what do I address first? All of these hormones are interrelated with one another. Um, there, there's no, a, a hormonal imbalance does not occur in a vacuum. So the fact that your thyroid is underactive impacts estradiol and progesterone, impacts testosterone, impacts insulin resistance. And you may not know this, but actually estrogen is protective for a lot of things. But one of the things it impacts as well as progesterone is insulin resistance. So um, and I, I saw someone's other question came up about bioidenticals. So I, I can definitely touch on those as well. What I would say to you is, um, what is your sleep quality like? Are you really getting good, high quality sleep? Like you sleep through the night or are you struggling to, st do you wake up between like two and four o'clock in the morning every night? Only to go to the potty. But okay. when I, when I come back to bed, I, I fall back asleep. So I'm okay. doing So that's good. Um, mm -hmm. So I would say stress is the next piece, really being proactive about, so these are like, it's like, well, I'll, I'll mention like the more benign things and then kind of opening up to other stuff. Stress management is critical and it's, it's beyond just, I'm going to sit in bed at night and like read a book and be quiet. Meditation, um, you want to try to do things that keep you in this parasympathetic rest and repose side of the brain. There's a, a device I just started using. Ben's going to laugh because it's sitting on my desk. I haven't put it on yet. It's called the Apollo Neuro. And so what this essentially does is it literally is giving you uh, light tapping against your skin. But we know based on research, like this is real neuroscience research. It looks like a low jack. My kids laugh at me. I wear it on my my ankle during most of the day. But it, it's, it's retraining your brain. It's helping with heart rate variability is kind of telling your brain, like giving you this little nudge, okay, we're going back into the parasympathetic. And, and I wear this throughout the day because it's not realistic for me to meditate throughout the day when I get stressed. It just isn't. So making sure that you're doing that, uh, not that you have to buy this per se, yeah. but make sure you're doing things that keep you out, like getting out in nature for five, 10 minutes every morning um, is very, very beneficial. When it comes to medication, are you taking medication for your thyroid right now? I am. 
Okay. I, I actually, since I started fasting, my medication's cut in half. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, that. so, you know, for a lot of people, they're, they're not on medication and that makes it even harder for them. And I, I would also add, and I just had a long conversation with an expert about this for my podcast very recently, there are multiple generations of bioidentical hormones or hormones in general, and people are very fearful. There's a lot of misinformation that's out there. There's a lot of fear because people don't know what to do. They've gone to see their doctor and their doctor's like, I'm just gonna put you on Premarin and some something else. And people are like, I don't want synthetic hormones. I get it. So what I would say to you, the most important thing that you could do right now is really looking at ways to make your cells more insulin sensitive. So fasting is part of that, high quality sleep, um, I always kind of lean towards looking at, you know, potentially supplements, getting a continuous glucose monitor. So you know what your blood sugar is doing. Do you have a monitor or a glucometer at home? I, I yeah, I have a keto mojo. I okay, have. perfect. So you can mm -hmm. check. So what I would encourage you to do, and especially if you're at a plateau is you want to check your blood sugar, um, several mornings a week and know exactly what your blood sugar is when you get hungry. And this is a, a this is a, um, a strategy that I learned through Marty Kendall. I wanna be very clear, I learned this through him and he's an engineer, has a very fresh take on this. So you establish a baseline blood sugar for when your body is hungry. Let's say it's 85. 85 is when your blood sugar is low enough that you've burned up enough fuel and you're hungry. Now you are not gonna eat if your blood sugar is not 85. And you are going to monitor your blood sugar after you eat because if your blood sugar goes up by more than 30 points, you say to yourself, that meal does not work for me. Okay. This is life-changing kind of stuff. Like I, when I brought him on my podcast, I was like, oh my God, Marty, this is like the most brilliant thing ever. But it's working. People are able to kind of resensitize those cells to insulin. So I would say that would be my first recommendation. Number two would be to consider something like berberine. Mm -hmm. Berberine, there's, and you may or may not be familiar with this, is a supplement that we've seen like head-to-head -head studies is as efficacious as glucophage or metformin, which is an oral drug prescribed for diabetes. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily encourage people to use it every day, but if you, your biggest meal of the day, try one and see how you do. See the net impact on your blood sugar. Um, do some experimentation. And then the other thing is I also look at gut health. I look at underlying food sensitivities. Um, toxins in your environment, personal care products and food, because we are, our skin is our largest organ. And we are very convinced that if we can go to our, our grocery store or get on Amazon, a lotion has to be safe. No, there's very little regulation in the United States. And so our chronic habitual overexposure to pesticides, chemicals, et cetera, can force our body to store these toxins in our fat tissue. And that's why the body's really doing it protectively. I always say like, it's a loving gesture, but it's not one we necessarily want. But we really, our body may really hold on to the toxins in that fat tissue because it's trying to protect us. So mm -hmm. I would say those would be my best recommendations. And I find that, you know, retraining those, those cells to become more sensitive to insulin because you've already been doing great work, right. really helpful. And the other piece is don't be afraid if you get to a point where you need bioidenticals. That book I mentioned, The XX Brain, for me as a clinician changed my perspective, because I, as I get closer to that stage in my life, I'm getting much more like interested in learning and being open minded. And for a long time, I was like, absolutely not. I'm thinking a little differently now. So okay. I hope that helps. So just one other two other things I wanted to mention is I've been on bioidenticals, mm -hmm. compounded formulas, 
for probably five years and I, I started having the opposite effect. So mm -hmm. I thought, okay, the body's telling me no. So I stopped doing those. And the funny thing is, is since I started fasting, it got, it got better. Crazy. As, even though blood work says whatever it says. So I, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not going to go back down the bioidentical route. But the um, other question was, um, berberine, what are your suggestions for dosage? Would it, um, and should I increase if I'm not seeing a difference? Well, I would, I would get really, uh, I, before I even do that, I would do what I recommended to take an average of three or four days out of the week. What is your blood sugar when you get hungry? Right. And average those together. And you do not eat unless your blood sugar is back to the amount. And oh. this completely freaks people out. They're like, what, what, what? And I was like, no, you've got fuel. Your body has fuel okay. that it needs to use up before you eat again. The other thing is when you do eat, if your blood sugar goes up by more than 30 points, you've had mm -hmm. too many carbs, even if it's a small amount of carbs, too many carbs. So um, it's that kind of retraining our mindset that can help, uh, you know, Marty Kendall's work is fascinating, really help kind of retrain those, those insulin receptors to be more receptive, because that's really what we're, you're aiming for. Because if your insulin's high, and do you know your fasting insulin? Fasting insulin's 85. That's the glucose. That's the glucose you're referring to, Marie, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So you need to, when you go to your healthcare provider, ask for a fasting insulin. It is not a weird thing, but if that number's high, like oh, I have a lot of menopausal okay, yeah, women. I, I, did, I did have that done. That's a 76. That, um, well, it, 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 that's really, really high. I would say a fasting oh. insulin, you want to have between like three to eight at most. And I've had a lot of women there at 20 or 30 and I'm like, okay, we got to get your insulin down. Cause until we get your insulin down, you're not losing weight. You know, insulin's a fat storage hormone. So right. if it's high, uh, you definitely won't be able to lose weight. So definitely asking for a fasting insulin, yeah. I think would be super helpful. Okay. Thank you. You're thank welcome. Thank you so much. Have you're a great welcome. day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Marie. Awesome questions. Thank you, Cynthia. All right. We have a little bit more time. I'm going to bring on Betty. Betty has been on every single VIP Q&A pretty much. We have a theme going, Cynthia, and the theme is be like Betty. You're going to see why she's <laughs> talking. So here's Betty. Good morning. Thank Hi, you, Betty. Dan. Listen, this uh, question, you just answered part of it. It was about supplements. I am 70 years old. I am definitely postmenopausal. For years, um, I have all my body parts. Uh, so my, I'm just curious now, you mentioned berberine. I take berberine. Mm -hmm. I use that because at one point I was extremely overweight, mm -hmm. metabolic syndrome, the whole nine yards. Berberine was one of the supplements yeah. I used to bring things back into control besides the fasting and keto mm -hmm. lifestyle. Um, what other supplements do you recommend? Hmm. Just in general? Um, right. Okay. Well, I can't, you're an incredibly youthful uh, 70. I'm, I'm amazed. Amazing <laughs> work. Um, I just want to make sure I mentioned the five. So berberine, usually 500 milligrams, 400 milligrams, depends on the, on the company that, that prescribes it or that creates it. Um, I would say for, so for women in particular, I like, and men too, I don't want to leave any dudes out, but I like adaptogenic herbs. Not only can they very, be very, their plant-based compounds are very calming and nourishing to the central nervous system. They help mitigate the stress response. If you're struggling with sleep, I like things like rhodiola or relora, which is actually derived from magnolia bark. So it's fascinating. 
You can also think about things like ashwagandha, which can be both stimulating and very calming, but these are naturally occurring plant compounds. They're not woo-woo. There's a lot of medicinal properties to plants. Um, vitamin D, everyone that's watching needs to know what their vitamin D levels are. You need to have it like 60 to 90, not 40 or 30 or 50. Vitamin D is critical. Um, you know, when I'm thinking of like generalities, you've already kind of talked about some blood sugar, blood sugar support. Some people, uh, chromium GTF is another option. It's not nearly as strong as berberine, but that can be kind of light. You know, I would say when I'm thinking about the, the strength of certain supplements, um, I'm just a huge fan of anything that is calming, nourishing for the brain, like L-theanine, um, that's an amino acid, right. can be very helpful for sleep. Uh, but in in speaking about generalities, those are usually the things I usually gravitate towards as a rule. Uh, but a lot of it's related to like, do people need bitters? Do people need digestive support? Um, you know, most, if not all of us, as we get older, we produce less hydrochloric acid. And so that's a first line of defense in the stomach. And so a lot of people need hydrochloric acid supplementation, provided they've ruled out H. pylori. Um, so digestive supports are another thing. I do think that there's value in prebiotics, but always starting with the food-based first. Prebiotics are things like jerusalem, artichoke, asparagus, onion, garlic. I mean, things we can easily integrate into our lives, but prebiotics are food for the probiotics. So I always say it's like fertilizer for the gut. So you want to be proactive. Um, I, I'm actually getting ready to white label a particular type of beneficial fiber that is a probiotic, pre, excuse me, a prebiotic fiber that feeds the probiotics in the gut. Um, those can be beneficial, but you have to be careful because they can be very bloating. If you use like a scoop uh, up front, it may be a little bit bloating for some people, but that's usually where I start. Sleep and stress are usually the two things I focus on or digestion as a good start. Thank you so much. You're that welcome. was really helpful. You're welcome. Thank you, Betty. Awesome question as usual. All right. We have time for one more question and then we're going to say goodbye to Cynthia. So we'll keep this, you know, within the next, you know, three or four minutes and then we'll give you a proper goodbye. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bring on Tina here. Hey, Tina. Hi guys. Hi Tina. First of all, Cynthia, thank you so much. I'm a big fan. I've been following you. So really appreciate you being on thank here. You. I'm the one that asked the question about HRT. So I'm postmenopausal. So I'm interested in your opinion on that and specifically how it might affect your response to things like fasting and diet. But I also had a second question, which was um, prompted by your kind of data-driven fasting and looking at mm -hmm. glucose and eating when you're glucose is less than 85. What about the times right after exercise where your glucose has shot up because of the exercise? It's not mm -hmm. because of eating. And I tend to be a little bit hungry after exercise and my glucose might still be 110 just from the exercise. So yeah. those were my two questions. Great. Well, thank you, Tina. And thank you for being a fan. Um, it's always a pleasure to connect with Ben's tribe. Um, so let me answer the data-driven fasting question first. Yes, we can sometimes see this blood sugar response in relation to intensity of exercise. And I do have people, um, I, I have a couple women who are very avid tennis players and they really, like they'll do two sets of tennis and they really, they're, they're really hungry. So the trick that I have suggested to them is to take, if, they're, if it's something that's gonna really evoke tremendous hunger and they're either struggling to get through or they're noticing these blood sugar spikes, take a teaspoon of MCT oil before you start exercising. Now, we know a teaspoon is not technically going to break your fast, 
but it should mitigate some of the hunger that you're experiencing. Now, I do like to see those numbers back down. Obviously, post-exercise is a little bit unique, and you should actually see a net reduction in blood sugar response after exercising. I mean, it may take a few minutes for that to happen. That's why I always encourage people, you have a big meal, go walk for 10 or 15 minutes. You'll definitely bring your blood sugar back uh, on, uh, you know, to where it should be. So I would say that would be my first trick. And that has worked really well for some of my, uh, you know, very active exercising women is they'll take a teaspoon. If it's going to be a more prolonged, intense level or degree of physical activity that allows them to get through the workout, they're not hungry and they don't see as high of a blood sugar response. So it's a little bit less stress to the body. Number two, what are my thoughts on uh, on hormone replacement therapy? The irony is if you had asked me this a year ago, I might've had a different answer. I think I was honestly fearful as I was getting closer to having to make that decision. I'm now in a position, this is the first time Ben's gonna laugh. I think this is the first time I've, I've mentioned this publicly. I've been alluding to it on Instagram stories. I just started taking bioidenticals um, and, and I, I'm working with someone that has a, a very unique take on this. Uh, I'm not taking things with creams or or gels or anything like that. I think it's really up to the individual. Are you having symptoms? So for me, uh, and I'll be totally transparent, Ben, you're going to laugh because Ben's probably like, she's getting ready to overshare. I'm, I'm 49 years old and I already am osteopenic despite lifting, eating plenty of protein, be, being very conscientious. Um, and, and I've noticed a lot of muscle mass loss in the last couple of years, like way beyond what I should be seeing. That combined with my concerns after reading this book about brain health was why I personally decided that I was going to start replacing the hormones. And when I had them tested, my doctor kind of fell out of his chair. He was like, I can't believe you're not having more symptoms. So my, my, my answer and my response to everyone that, that has that question, are you having symptoms? Is your body telling you that it's really struggling? Like clearly for me, if I'm planning on living 30, 40 more years, if I'm already at this point, then it's telling me my body doesn't have a lot of reserve. So everyone that's watching may have different answers. The one thing that I will, I will encourage people to consider is to do your homework, um, speak to many different people so that you, you work with someone that's very aligned with your methodology. My person has a unique take. And I, and I would say that, that might not be everyone's perspective. Number two is, are you having symptoms suggestive of you're doing all the right things? You're sleeping well, you're fasting, you, you're balancing your macros, you're still having symptoms, um, then that might be a time to, you know, give that a consideration. And lastly, I would say, don't be fearful because you can change your mind. We do know that the study research says that the first five years that you go into menopause, you get the most benefits from bioidenticals. It's not to suggest that they aren't beneficial beyond that. It's just, you get the biggest bang for your buck in that window. And not everyone has to continue them forever. So I really think it's very individual. And I would say, I say this from a, with a very loving, open heart, be open to the possibility of considering something you didn't. Because if you had asked me a year ago, I would have said, no way, I'm not doing that. But now I'm at a point, I feel so much better, even after two weeks, that I'm like, okay, this is the right decision for me. But take the time to like talk to different people, get informed, determine what's going to work best for you. And then don't be fearful. Like that was what was really holding me back. Thank you so much. I went on bioidentical hormones about six months ago, and it did make a huge difference mm -hmm. on energy level, everything. So I'm really glad to hear your response. Thank you. I'm going to be bugging off the camera. I'm going to work out with Dr. Mindy Pels on Zoom. So awesome. thank you so much. It was really great being part of this. And, and thanks again for joining us. Thank you.
Thank you, Tina. Thank you, Cynthia, for sharing that. We are blessed to have you join us today. Um, where is the best place for everybody to go check out your work? Well, I finally have a new website so that it only took three weeks. <laughs> um, probably my website's a good jumping point because you get connected with the podcast there and actually Ben's very, very popular latest episode dropped last week. This week is Jeremy Abramson, who's hilarious. Love <laughs> he's Jeremy so too. Funny. Yeah, he's great. He's a character. Um, <laughs> I would say that's probably Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm very active on social media. We've got a free Facebook group called uh, Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle backslash my name. And I do honestly answer the questions. My team sends me like the long list of questions that people ask. I generally answer all of them. They're not answering them for me. I'm very hands-on. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Am I forgetting anything, Ben? Ben and I are on Clubhouse yeah. most Mondays at 5.30 Eastern Standard Time. I'm kind of all over the place, but I'm very hands-on in my business. So if you get a response on Instagram, generally on Facebook, it's generally me. I try to, I'm going to try to do that for as long as I can till I can't anymore, but I'm still <laughs> able to do that. CynthiaThurlow.com, Everyday Wellness Podcast. We're also speaking together in person in Las mm -hmm. Vegas. I know. I'm so Las excited. I can't wait. Las Vegas Keto Expo. So you could get your ticket. Alina will put, put a link for that. Uh, Cynthia, thank you for the amazing work that you do. I'm grateful to know you and to do more collaborations with you. It was such a blessing to learn from you today. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you, my friend. And I, I, I'm noticing more questions coming in. If they have more questions, feel free to just text them to me and I'll answer for you. Oh, you're awesome. Look at that. Exclusive right. access <laughs> to Cynthia Thurlow's phone. <laughs> I'll yes, ben, ben and I, Ben and I are, you know, usually texting each other a couple times a week. Yeah, anyway, yesterday, we were, yesterday we were texting each other our dog photos, right? <laughs> yes, yes. I was saying this is what my dog does to me in the morning, and it was like forty-five pounds of dog, like right up in my face, and I took my phone, um, and I was like, "Yeah, this is what I deal with." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you, Cynthia. All right. For the rest thank of your you. Saturday, and we'll we'll see you soon. I hope you enjoyed that amazing, extraordinary conversation with Cynthia Thurlow. Go subscribe to her podcast, The Everyday Wellness Podcast. I've been a guest on there twice, and I'm sure I'll return in the near future. She's had an amazing guest. Go check her out on her Instagram and her social media pages. I'm going to drop a link, or all the links and resources can be found for her in the podcast notes down below. If this conversation was valuable to you, please consider sharing the link with a friend text it to somebody, post it on your social media, tag us. Let's get the word out. Let's change lives. I want to thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.